0: Let's get going with another edition of Midday on the Rural Radio Network. It's all the information that you need wrapped up in a couple of hours of very well spent time. And we started off by telling you exactly what's coming up. And our news and sports and ag all sitting before us here. And the the personages of these fine people to bring you that information. First up is Jesse Harding.
1: Well, obviously we know there's a lot of weather events going on across the United States. That's pretty much the focus of what today's agriculture news is going to be throughout the span of midday today. For the 1213, we're going to talk about the fires in Montana and the Pacific Northwest and how producers are dealing with that and what is going on up there. Also, the sheep and goat, Nebraska sheep and goat annual meeting will take place in Scottsville this week. So we have a little audio previewing that. For the 1219, Joe Gangwish is with Coleman Lock. He's a cattle rancher from the south, southwest of Houston discussing how they're dealing with post-Hurricane Harvey floodwaters. And Coleman is actually the father of Laura Field with Nebraska Cattlemen. So a lot of producers out there might know Laura. And so that's this tie back to Nebraska for us. And then for the 117, Shaley Peters is currently at the Soil Health Field Day. She'll have some audio for us on that. For the 117, I did bypass the newsmaker because Dave Schroeder has audio on that and some things that producers are doing here in Nebraska to help others out.
2: You bet. You can help uh, with the hurricane relief effort. Uh, Scott Ford, uh, Bertrand, and uh, some others there are organizing a uh, semi-load of supplies that they're going to take down to Texas here this Saturday morning. And they're uh, setting a deadline to Friday. They're taking collections at the uh, Highline Ag in uh, Bertrand of uh, anything you can think of that you use in your everyday life. Cleaning supplies, water, uh, that type of thing, even pet food, uh, those kinds of things. And so we'll t- hear more about that from uh, Scott Ford at 1245. Coming up in our business report, stocks are modestly higher today on Wall Street uh, trading. U.S. service uh, businesses, they grew at a faster pace in August uh, as measures for new orders and hiring improved. And also there is a little bit of movement in Congress towards health care
0: reform. How little?
2: ever, Very, very little. Just a minutia.
0: <laughs> All right, well, Tune in. We'll look forward to see what's up. And over here on Sports Today, Brandon Bennett is sitting in.
3: Jesse's opening line about how the weather is dominating what we are doing here on Midday. Weather is dominating a lot of the sports activity, too. After going back and forth a little bit, the NFL now says the Miami Dolphins season opener against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers has been postponed to November 19th. Oddly enough, that's a bye week for both of them. Uh, number 16, Miami's game at Arkansas State has been canceled, not because Miami can't get to Arkansas. It's that the fear is about getting back from Arkansas to Miami. University of Miami has canceled classes to until at least Monday and the The NFL, the NHL, the National Hockey League home of the Panthers is actually going to be used as a tactical operations site for Florida Power and Light and other emergency responders throughout the storm. So the Panthers of the NHL have had to cancel games as well.
0: My heavens, and we've got Category 5 irma this morning with 185 mile an hour winds about 35 miles east southeast of st martin right now out in the caribbean sea and so that one is uh, next up on the agenda and uh, i'll tell you what mother nature's just playing havoc this year
3: one thing after another hurricanes wildfires oh
0: my unbelievable it's all coming up for you today on midday Look at ag weather now, and for Paul Perkins, I'm Dirk Christensen, brought to you by Holdridge Irrigation. Frost-free conditions in the Midwest, extending the outlook and the concern about Hurricane Irma's impact are all among the key weather items that the commodity trade is looking at today. The forecast calling for mostly favorable conditions for filling, maturing, and early harvest of corn and soybeans. No damaging cold weather is indicated over the next 10 days, Category 5 Hurricane Irma centered early this morning with 185-mile-an-hour winds 35 miles east-southeast of St. Martin in the northern Caribbean Sea. Irma is moving toward the west-northwest at about 16 miles an hour. This general motion is expected to continue for the next couple of days on the forecast track. The extremely dangerous core of Irma will be moving over portions of the northern Leeward Islands this morning, then move over, or at least near portions of northern Virgin Islands today, and then pass near or just north of Puerto Rico this afternoon or tonight. Irma remains what's termed an extreme risk to lives and property through the northern caribbean eventually this could also extend into the americas to georgia the carolinas but this could change as the forecast track seems to be going away from a gulf of mexico impact but this too remains somewhat uncertain for hurricane irma irma is considered an extreme risk to florida at this time the track could still change but as of this hour the risk would be for torrential rains leading to extreme flooding and high wind and severe damage to crops including citrus, sugarcane, and vegetables in south and central Florida. The time frame for this is on into this weekend, and the bias at this time appears to be for greater impact in the southern and eastern Florida areas due to wind and extreme rain. But again, this is all subject to change. The early call puts the heaviest rain due to the future track of Irma in eastern Georgia and the Carolinas early next week, affecting both Cotton and Peanuts. However, that track is highly uncertain as far in the future as it could shift either east or west as well. Now, early this morning, the center of Tropical Storm, Katia, which is a forty mile an hour wind storm at this time, located one hundred five miles east of Tampico, Mexico, that 's in the southwest Gulf. Katia is moving toward the east northeast at about four miles an hour. The system should gradually turn southeastward over the course of the next twenty four hours and then continue moving in that general direction um, through Thursday. A turn toward the southwest, moving in the general direction of Uh, of that uh, direction through Thursday would be forecast then for later, maybe within the next 24 hours. Following that, on the forecast track, the center of that storm is expected to remain offshore of Mexico through Friday morning. That system could bring heavy rains to some key coffee areas of east central Mexico by the end of this week. Drier weather is expected during the next five to seven days for the delta. That should help crops recover from the prior rains associated with that first late summer period and then tropical depression Harvey. Although current thinking continues to keep Irma's rain east of that area, still bears some watching. Most adequate soil moisture for the upcoming winter wheat planting season in the central and southern plains should find favorable weather for that early field work. Generally favorable conditions remain in place for the filling and maturing corn and soybeans. In effect, over the northern plains, there's no damaging cold, as we said, any time in the next 10 days. Up into the Canadian prairies, mostly favorable conditions for wheat and canola harvest. Late-filling canola will benefit from continued warm weather through the weekend, somewhat cooler weather early this week is not expected to end the growing season for many of those areas now crop areas of northeastern china picked up some needed rains during the weekend well the balance of that region was drier warm weather was added rainfall favoring of filling crops and periodic showers with no significant cold weather in that area is going to be favoring the filling crops this week and finally in south asia a late season of the india monsoon has brought significant rains to key growing areas of Pakistan and northwest India during the past week. Heavy rain hit southeast Pakistan. Moderate to heavy rains also hit northwest growing areas of India. And rain in those areas will help improve irrigation and soil moisture for the summer crops and irrigation for winter crops. This is a highly favorable situation except in areas of local flooding. Rains also returned to the southernmost crop areas of India during the course of the weekend. And over to Australia where dryness of an increasing concern for wheat Grown in eastern Australia, notably north-south New South Wales and the southern Queensland areas where wheat and productive growth stages is being heard at this time. Rain is needed to stabilize that crop. However, the forecast brings continued dry conditions for into early next week
1: agriculture information on the Rural radio network i'm jesse harding how did a winter of above normal snowpack and a wet spring turn montana and the pacific northwest into a center of wildfire activity this summer while well, jessica Garghetto of the national interagency fire center explains how a wet cool spring and prolonged dry summer have each contributed to major wildfire activity in montana and the pacific northwest
4: This has been a very above normal to extreme fire season for most of the western states, especially since the fire season started early. The northwest and Montana, they are experiencing over 80 large wildfires right now. This extreme fire season is a combination of a lot of fuel loading. We had a very wet spring in most places, so that, of course, caused even those finer fuels to grow very quickly because we had such high temperatures for such an extreme amount of time. Starting off early in the summer, a lot of those fuels dried out, and it's been fire season in some of these states now for almost two months. Montana has definitely had an extreme fire season, and these last couple of weeks they've had continued high winds as well. So a lot of these large wildfires that have been burning for over a month For example, the Rice Ridge Fire, which is 100,000 acres, has been burning since July 4th. And a lot of these other large fires in Montana have been burning for almost a month or just under a month. And it's just been a lot of fire activity in that state for most of the summer now.
1: Over 80 fires continue to burn in Montana and the Pacific Northwest states. And while this has been going on, also Hurricane Harvey affected Texas. And Bertrand producer Scott Ford is collecting items for relief there in Texas. Dave Schroeder has more.
3: The main
2: collection point for household and cleaning supply items is Highline Ag in Bertrand. The deadline is Friday. As Ford says, he planned to leave with a semi-trailer early Saturday morning. Ford says the exact destination is still to be determined.
5: There's a good chance that we might be going to some of the smaller rural towns that maybe aren't getting near the attention that Houston is, and we're going to make sure that uh, that the products that people donate here are going to get in the hands of the people that truly, truly need it, and we've got people on the ground that are going to help coordinate this. So we're, we're in contact with them right now, and uh, they're telling us that uh, the need is still very great down there.
2: Ford says to just think about what you use in your everyday life, and that would be the items they would like to take down there. Monetary donations can also be left at First State Bank in Loomis, Bertrand, and Arnold. I'm Dave Schroeder.
1: Lamb is a bigger dish in international markets than the United States, but that is changing. Chabella Guzman has more.
4: The Nebraska Sheep and Goat Producers will meet in Scottsbluff and Mitchell this weekend, September 8th and 9th. Ivan Rush, board member with the Nebraska Sheep and Goat Producers, says lamb is not a common dish like it used to be, but is making a comeback as a meat option in restaurants. He tells us what he thinks is creating the change in consumption.
6: Lambs that we're producing are lambs that are very high quality, unlike, uh, in my opinion, unlike the New Zealand and Australian lambs that are primarily grass-fed. Uh, here in the United States, we use uh, you know, grain green to finish our lambs, and that produces a very juicy, tender, more mild flavor lamb. And Those that have had the uh, grain-fed lambs uh, cooked properly uh, uh, really love to taste the lamb and, and uh, again we're starting to enjoy lamb
4: the annual meeting will have a tour of three farms to be held friday with dinner at 6:30 at legacy of the plains museum in gearing saturday will be the lamb cutting demonstration and producer presentations for more information contact rush at 308-641-1234 with the rural radio network i'm chabella guzman
1: more information can be found online at ruralradio.com for the rural radio network i'm jesse harding
4: We're going
7: to catch up with another cattle rancher southwest of the Houston area and get an update on the flooding situation there. I'm Joe Gangwish here on the Rural Radio Network with Coleman Locke, cattle producer, and you are southwest of the Houston area, is that right?
8: Yes, sir. We're about one hour's drive southwest of Houston, and we're about 50 miles away from the Gulf of Mexico.
7: Well, Coleman, uh, we appreciate you being with us because you're still dealing with water certainly in your area. What's it like in your area right now?
8: Well, we're, we're right on the Colorado River. We had a historic flood. I don't think it's done that level since about 1913 or a little over a hundred years ago. But, uh, we've had a historic flood, uh, lots of cattle displaced. We had to move cattle, uh, at least a mile off the river and they still were, uh, shoulder deep in water at part time. And, uh, we've had a lot of cattle in our family all mixed up. Water has actually gone down now and, uh, uh, for a while we had trouble traveling, just going anywhere because all the roads were closed. But, uh, water's all down now. Water's off of us. It's actually drying up. You can see some dust every now and then, but there's still water standing in places. And, uh, the grass that was flooded is still a little muddy. We get a lot of, it's old muddy rivers here. And so we get a lot of mud on the grass. So we'd probably welcome a little bitty shower to rinse that off right now.
7: How'd the cattle make it through the situation?
8: The cattle made it very well, surprisingly. Uh, we raised Brahman cattle and Brahman crossbred cattle and their survivors, and uh they they toughed it out. We lost probably one or two head through the whole thing. Uh, it's amazing how well those cattle survived. They look really good. Looks like we might have a few cattle with some foot problems standing in the water. But uh, all in all, our cattle came through that very well. Uh, the first day we were able to get back in, uh, the first and second days, we hayed with square bales on airboats. And that was a pretty slow process. And then the third day on, we were able to get tracked vehicles in there with hay and put out round bales. So we've had uh, pretty good uh, uh, nutrition for those cows all along. Mosquitoes are horrendous right now. That's probably working on them as bad as anything. But the cattle survived very well.
7: I heard uh, there were some problems with some of the cattle that stood in water for a while. They had a a little bit of problem to take care of.
8: Yes, sir. We, We see a few of the calves have got a little skin problem from being in the water and uh uh, we've got uh, four or five cows limping that we're going to doctor on Uh, but we're really looks like we're going to have very minimal health problems from the
9: entire ordeal
7: well coleman as you told me before your hay needs are met but what about your neighbors any donations on hay or anything agricultural wise that is needed
8: Well, I'm sure there's a tremendous need for for a lot of things. There there are hotlines. Our Texas Department of Agriculture uh, has a hotline. Our Texas Animal Health Commission has a hotline number, and uh, donations can be made there, and they can put folks in touch with centers, with collection centers uh, where uh, items are being staged for distribution. And uh, those two organizations are doing a tremendous job of, of serving our industry and our, our state. It, it's, it's impressed me so much seeing this entire ordeal unfold, how much people care for one another and how much people help one another. We've had friends from all over the world and the United States calling us. We've had friends from several hundred miles away, just drop in and say, hey, what can I do? Let's get out there and get to work. Uh, the, the, the folks that are helping one another, there's just an unknown number of them, and it's just wonderful to see humanity helping humanity that way. The spirit of giving and caring and helping is just great to watch.
7: That is Coleman Locke, who ranches southwest of the Houston area. For more on how you can help with the donation efforts, go to the homepage at ruralradio.com. I'm Joe Gangwish.
0: You're listening to Midday on the Rural Radio Network. It's time to check sports with Brandon Bennett.
3: Good afternoon, Dirk. The University of Nebraska Kearney football team looks to improve to 2-0 and on the season tomorrow night as the Lopers hit the road at the number 15-ranked team of the nation, Emporia State University. Last week, UNK picked up a huge win to start the season with a 14-3 victory over the Griffins from Missouri Western. UNK head football coach Josh Lynn says it was big to get the first win in Game 1 to kick off the season.
8: You know, it's good to get a win, say what it is. Uh, you know, the next thing is, you know, we, uh, we enjoyed that win, but, you know, the next day we were back to work. You know the kids have done a good job with that. I mean, it's there's been no, you know, there's no been no hangover in regards to the victory. Uh, our kids, you know, we're back to work uh, the next day and ready to uh, get going against Emporia State.
3: The Hornets have won nine out of the last eleven games in this series, dating back to 1988. Kickoff tomorrow night is set for 7:30, and you can catch the game on 93.1 The River, KRVN.com, or by downloading the River app. Well, before Hurricane Irma has a chance to wreck havoc on the United States, it's already wrecking havoc on sports schedules across the southeastern portion of the nation. After going back and forth a bit on this yesterday, the NFL now says the Miami Dolphins' season opener against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers will be postponed until November 19th. That game can be moved to Week 11 because both teams, coincidentally enough, have a bye week that week. In college football, number 10 Florida State has moved its game against Louisiana Monroe up to a noon kickoff instead of their originally scheduled night game Saturday evening. Number 16, Miami's game at Arkansas State on Saturday has been canceled over concerns about the hurricane. Getting to Arkansas for the game isn't the problem for Miami. However, getting back home is the potential issue, and the uncertainty over what might happen with the storm led to the decision to err on the side of caution. The game between Miami and Arkansas State will not be made up in 2017. And the NHL's Florida Panthers are canceling their plans to play in a prospect tournament in Southwest Florida later this weekend. In fact, the team will close its offices on Thursday afternoon in anticipation of the storm. And then their home arena, the BB&T Center in Sunrise, Florida, will then be used as a tactical operations site for Florida Power and Light and other emergency responders during the storm. And it's the second year of six-man football for Elwood. The Pirates started this season with an easy win over Elba, and head coach Patrick Ropers is cautiously optimistic things will be better this season for the Pirates.
4: We, we've we talked about, you know, we've got a lot of guys from last year that played a lot back. You know, we felt we kind of maybe gave a couple games away with some of those better teams. We turned the ball over way too many times against Wilcox. Um, I think, I think as a first-year team and six-man, you are trying to figure out what can we do, what works, what doesn't. And so I think we have a good grasp now of, of what things work and what and what doesn't and what we're trying to do and how to defend people. And I think that, that helps a ton.
3: That's a look at sports. Stay tuned. More of Midday is just ahead. You're listening to The Rural Radio Network.
10: Sunny today with a high near 76. Tonight, mostly clear with a low around 45. And then for Thursday, sunny and a high near 83. From the KRVN News Center, I'm Scott Foster. Nebraska Emergency Management Assistant Director Brian Tuma says Texas is going to be relying on help from Nebraska and other states for quite a while as Hurricane Harvey relief efforts starts transitioning from response efforts to recovery mode even as Hurricane Irma threatens to strike Florida.
5: We still have about thirty two thousand individuals just in the immediate Houston area in Texas that have been uh, they're, they're displaced uh, they're in some type of temporary housing and Uh, Obviously, floodwaters carry a lot of disease. I would estimate a huge increase in public health issues in in the uh, next few weeks.
10: Tuma says for Nebraskans wanting to help, the best option is to pick a reputable organization and send funds to be used for what is needed most. They can help those affected by Hurricane Harvey by visiting redcross.org, calling 1-800-RED-CROSS or texting the word HARVEY to nine zero nine 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 to make a ten dollar donation, authorities say a woman has been shot in a police station parking lot in northeast Nebraska. The shooting occurred around eight ten a m this morning in the East lot at the law enforcement center in South Sioux City. Police say she's been taken to a Sioux City, Iowa hospital for treatment of what are believed to be life threatening injuries. A man found in the area was taken into custody, but it's unclear whether he's been arrested. Police say no officers have been injured and say the shooting may have stemmed from a domestic situation that the two arrived in separate vehicles. Officials say the University of Nebraska system has reached another record high in enrollment. The university said in a news released Wednesday that the enrollment at the system's four campuses and the Nebraska College of Technical Agriculture this fall is 52,679, or three-tenths of a percent increase over last year's record of 52,516. The Lincoln Campus and the University of Nebraska Med Center in Omaha each have record enrollments this year, and the Lincoln Campus and the University of Nebraska Omaha have their largest ever incoming freshman classes. The Kearney Campus reports a 2.1% decrease to 6,644. Authorities say 90 inmates have been transferred from a northwest Kansas prison following a disturbance there. Kansas Department of Corrections spokesman Samir Arif says Wednesday that the inmates were moved from the Norton Correctional Facility to other Kansas prisons. Arif says the disturbance began late Tuesday when inmates set fire to a mattress in a housing unit and up to 250 inmates spilled into the yard. He said inmates broke into a tool shed and smashed several prison windows. Get your news fast and first when you like our Facebook page from the KRVN News Center. I'm Scott Foster.
2: Dave Schroeder on the Rural Radio Network. I'm visiting with Scott Ford, a producer from Bertrand, Nebraska. And uh, Scott is uh, kind of organizing an effort called Hurricane Harvey Relief from the heartland of Nebraska.
5: And Scott, tell me, uh, what got this idea rolling? Well, Dave, we're affiliated with the All-American Beef Battalion, Bill Brody. And uh, Bill Brody went down shortly after the hurricane kind of left the area down in Texas. And he called me on Saturday and said, is there any way that you can help kind of round up some supplies for our fellow people in Texas? And I said, we'd certainly do everything we possibly can. And we've got, uh, you know, some friends and customers down there in the Houston Sugar Land area. And I called them and they said the need is pretty great for, for a lot of things, so it just uh, felt right that we needed to try to help out on this end and uh, and see what we could do to pull together and, and send them some supplies.
2: Well, yes, you are collecting uh, supplies. Tell me what kind of supplies that you're collecting to uh, take down there.
5: Yeah, I mean, some of the biggest need that they keep talking about, you know, diapers, uh, formula, baby formula, baby wipes, Cleaning supplies, you know, obviously the people are trying to go back in now or getting back into their houses and the complete devastation trying to clean up. So, I mean, I had a friend down there that says that, you know, trying to find Clorox and pine salt, you know, uh, just garbage bags, um, obviously, toiletry items, personal items, toothpaste, toothbrushes. We've had uh, four or five pallets of water donated, perishable food items you know, paper towels, all are extremely important and, and stuff that we're trying to get rounded up. So that, that's kind of a, a short list of some of the things that we're trying to put together. Pet food is another thing. I mean, we've had some people donate some pet food. Obviously, there's there's pets that have been displaced. So if you can just think about it, if you can go through on a, on a daily basis what you use, and just imagine that all being gone and you trying to replace it you know and obviously the uh, the infrastructure down there is is definitely tested at the max so we're trying to take advantage of our full grocery stores uh, up here and get gathered up and and go down there with as much stuff as we possibly can
2: and uh, you're collecting it this week and tell me when is the deadline and when do you hope to uh box things up to head
5: you know we're hoping here in the next couple of days we can people can pull together and and uh, find a, a local spot in their community or bring it over here to Bertrand. We're hoping that we can maybe uh, get packed up uh, Friday afternoon, get the trucks ready to go, and then maybe we can be pulling out of here early Saturday morning. It's about 14 hours to Houston, so if we can get left early Saturday morning, hopefully we can be down there Saturday night. And we might not go, you know, uh, that's one thing people have asked us several times, where exactly are you going? I said, well, I can't tell you that because the, the situation obviously is changing on a daily basis down there, there's a good chance that we might be going to some of the smaller rural towns that maybe aren't getting near the attention that Houston is, and we're going to make sure that, uh, that the products that people donate here are going to get in the hands of the people that truly, truly need it. And we've got people on the ground that are going to help coordinate this. So we're in contact with them right now, and uh, they're telling us that uh, the need is still very great down there.
2: Highline Ag in Bertrand is the main collection point of the warehouse there, but you have some other drop points in surrounding communities as well.
5: Yeah, uh, Christy Dugan over in, in uh, Lexington is, is helping coordinate some drop points there. Uh, the, the Atlanta Community Building down in Atlanta, Nebraska. Ty Marquette over in Holdridge is, is accepting donations. Uh, we've got Morris Press over in Kearney. Uh, Eugene Coe down in McCook. So a lot of other people and have, uh, have uh, offered to kind of, collection points in their own community, so we're getting some great response, and we're hoping we can get it all pulled together on Friday and get some trucks packed up, ready to go south.
2: Any opportunity for uh, cash donations?
5: Yes, I appreciate you asking. So we did set up a uh, fund at the uh, First State Bank in Bertrand, Loomis, or Alma. either Any one of those branches, they can go in and and offer a uh, cash donation. We've got an account set up, and then we're going to kind of survey the situation uh, here uh, Thursday and kind of look at what need, we need the most and use that cash donations to you know, maybe go buy some product in bulk that uh, maybe that we're running a little short of. So,
2: Well, if anyone has any questions, how can they get a hold of someone and who?
5: You bet. That would be great. Um, my cell phone number, uh, Dave, is 308-991-2452. Uh, we've got a Facebook page that we're trying to keep up with so you can see some contact information. Uh, on my Facebook page, uh, uh, please go there and uh, like I say we certainly uh, love uh, love in all the help that we can possibly get uh, this uh, this week here getting stuff put together and packing up and getting ready to go and so
2: that uh, Facebook page is your own uh, personal Facebook page uh, yep. Scott Ford at Bertrand?
5: Ford. okay Yep, that's correct
2: yep. All right. well good enough well, uh, Scott, anything else to add about this uh, effort well, to help guess- out?
5: well it's just you know when when uh, it's just fun to be a part of something like this and see the community come together and, and you just see how uh, americans support americans and you just uh, it just gives you a good feeling and it's just wonderful that uh, to see the the people here in the heart of uh, heart of the united states want to help their fellow american out and it just uh, thank you to everybody that's uh, been so generous
2: That's Scott Ford of Bertrand. He's uh, organizing an effort called Hurricane Harvey Relief from the heartland of Nebraska. And the main collection point is at the Highline Ag in Bertrand and is affiliated with the All-American Beef Battalion. And they're planning on taking a a semi-trailer load of supplies down to relief for the Hurricane Harvey this Saturday. And the deadline is this Friday. And I'm Dave Schroeder on the Rural Radio Network.
7: Let's get our closing livestock futures report from Joe Teal. He's a Great Plains Commodities. Joe, let's talk about the trade today. Higher in cattle, kind of a quieter day in hogs.
6: Yeah, quiet. Well, actually, it was a quiet, pretty quiet day in uh, cattle. I mean, we did finish higher, uh, uh, but it was uh, seemed pretty uh, much like a non-event. Uh, uh, the auction didn't really uh, pose any uh, uh, direction for the market, really. Um, and so we closed moderately higher. Cutouts were higher at noon. Uh, heard of no cattle trade. The uh, Like I mentioned, the uh, auction didn't really provide any direction. Uh, didn't seem like there was anything special uh, taking place there. Uh, did hear of some cattle trade uh, maybe a little bit lower, uh, but uh, that didn't seem to have an effect on the market because it was pretty light uh, sales in the feeders uh, showed some uh, triple digit gains in the first two months and that's uh, mainly i think uh, due to the fact that uh, the index has been going up and uh, we're a little discount so uh, i think that uh, helped them uh, to some degree over in the hogs very quiet uh, cash seems to be uh, boy just not on fire at all and the cutouts were sharply lower at noon. So that kind of backed everything down uh, in the hogs, uh, despite the fact that we're still at a deep discount, even though uh, that index continues to uh, fall rather rapidly. So all in all, uh, a pretty quiet uh, day, but mostly higher.
7: Joe Teal is at Great Plains Commodities. Call him toll-free 800-328-0134. This is the Rural Radio Network.
11: joining you now here on the Rural Radio Network and I'm in Shelby today visiting now with Greg Whitmore and Greg you are the grower here but you're hosting this field day also in conjunction with the Soil Health Partnership so bringing farmers in bringing some FFA students in today a very neat event hosted here just go into uh, to start what exactly you're doing here today
9: what we're doing here today is talking about the Soil Health Partnership, how we got established, what our objectives are, the Soil Health Partnership, and who's all collaborating with us. And what we're doing is trying to get the message out there about paying attention to the soil health and improving productivity of our soils and improving efficiencies of water and nutrients because what soil health is is a makeup of the physical, chemical, and, and uh, biological aspects of our soil. Well. The chemical is the nutrient portion, we've got that pretty well covered, everybody understands the soil test and the need for soil testing, but the one that has been coming to light the last five, six years and been an emphasis from the NRCS has been the biological aspect of it and that uh, encompasses uh, earthworms, uh, other bio, uh, microbiospheres such as bacteria and fungi and actively growing roots. So we get that uh, interrelationship of the bacteria and fungi out there that can help utilize the minerals that are in the soil and make them available as nutrients to the uh, growing crop.
11: Now you've been with the Soil Health Partnership since the beginning. Uh, talk about what you've seen personally on your farm here near Shelby.
9: Okay, what I've seen personally with all the trying to get the scientific data and everything, I've noticed that we had a bit of a stratification issue with the pH on the surface of the soil and some nutrient stratification there. So that came about by using a proper Cornell test that was one of the one things that jumped out at me on, on looking at that uh, over a two-year period. And by addressing that, we reduced the amount of variability in our field on that. Now, can I say we've got, well, we treated the whole field because my test on my soil partnership is, is uh, comparing cover crop versus no cover crop. Right now, we're not seeing a whole lot of economic differential on yield, or, but we are seeing better aggregate stability. And as I pointed out, we, we saw something that was not on the biological side, but more on the chemical or nutrient side. So once we addressed that, we reduced the, the uh, variability, as I said. And part of our reason that we're seeing that stratification was is we changed our irrigation method. We went from a surface ir- irrigation to a drip irrigation, and our irrigation water has a natural calcium supply, which gives us a natural liming effect, and so when we're not putting that irrigation water at the surface, we're not getting that liming effect, that's one of the things that uh, is kind of unique to that field versus the rest of my operation. Now, I have been raising cover crops for about 14, 15 years now. I started using it uh, following um, corn silage. I live near a large dairy, and we're uh, chopping those fields and I got tired of seeing the dirt blow in the spring, and so I started using cereal rye as a cover crop and uh, have been amazed at the results and and some of the other benefits that I'm seeing that we're talking about here in the Soil Health Partnership.
11: All right, thanks so much, Greg Whitmore. He is here hosting today's Field Day in Shelby with the Soil Health Partnership. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm Shaylee Peters. Mm
7: -hmm. Good afternoon, Closing Grain Market Analysis here on the Roll Radio Network as we visit with John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst at Daniels Ag Marketing. Also, he's the publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. So a little surge, not much, but a little surge in the corn at the close there, John.
12: Yeah, we'll take it. A, a very, very good close. A uh, high we've seen now on a closing basis since before the options expiration. So uh, all in all, good price action here. Um, starting out with news in South America that, that seedings are going to be lower for corn next year. And I think that was uh, something we were expecting, but just waiting for the market to see it. And uh, given the currency that we're, we're seeing, meaning the U.S. dollars got a lot weaker versus that Brazilian real, uh, corn prices are going to have to do some work to get uh, uh, more acres down there for next year. So look, even looking at $4 here, um, you know, with the currency conversions, it's still a lot cheaper down there than it was a year ago when we were at 360 corn here. So uh, all in all, I'd say some good news from the uh, you know low-prices cured low-prices camp. Um, we'll kind of continue to look for that. Uh, unfortunately, beans will probably take a little bit of the brunt of that as we'll see increased seedings in that market. But uh, demand is very, very strong in South America there, and they can probably handle it.
7: Still banking on the corn low being last week?
12: I do. I think uh, at least for the contract size. Now, you know, will December go back down to those lows and trade, you know, 440, 340 again? I, I, I have a hard time believing it will, but, uh, you know, there's going to be an initial surge of, of when everybody wants to sell and deliver this stuff, although it's going to be a while. If you look at the dented numbers from last night, uh, we're, we're substantially behind. I mean, I'd say even almost two weeks uh, in certain areas. Uh, Northern states, you know, 15% in some cases behind where we were a year ago. So it's, um, it's going to be a late crop. Market feels like it's a little impatient here. Uh, you're starting to see the cattle, cattle markets fall apart and that could be good for the grains as we've seen, uh, the opposite really be beneficial for, uh, um, you know, the sellers of corn and now with, with maybe livestock coming off a little bit, we'll see those grain prices rally. Still feel that the spreads are wide right now and that, that would tell me that, uh, um, there isn't a problem with supply. Uh, whether you're looking at corn or soybeans, it's not like the cotton markets where we're heavily inverted. You have these major differences between new crop and old crop until those get, uh, I guess, squeezed a little bit. I would be hesitant to be buying any upward movements. Um, Producers are going to have a decision to make 375 ish I think you'll get pressed to that at some point here before the end of September, and uh, it might be quick uh, as as a lot of folks are going to look to get an early jump on selling.
7: All right, wrapping it up, uh, the bean support seemed to wane today.
12: Yeah, beans are looking good. Now we have meal turning uh, above $300 a metric ton, uh, almost above that 200-day moving average for the NOV contract. Probably going to see some more exports come in before that thing gets broken out. But I think there's a move to 10 in in the cards here if the weather would continue to stay cool.
7: John Payne with Daniels Ag Marketing. Go to DanielsAgMarketing.com for John's contact information. That's our closing grain market analysis from the Rural Radio Network.